0: Good morning. Good morning, I morning. Uh, I'm not as tech savvy as uh, Pastor Zach, so I'm going to ask you to have ready uh, with you your hard copy of the Word of God or your digital copy, whatever you choose to use. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with the 14th verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with the 14th verse. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Impress it upon our hearts, our minds, our lives. Help us this morning, starting with me, to surrender fully to it, to see our Savior leading this grand procession, this triumph over sin and death and the grave. I pray that we would recognize the incredible privilege of being a part of the body of Christ for the hope of glory that is ours, for the help of the Holy Spirit along the path. Help us this morning, Spirit. Direct my lips and my thoughts, and I pray that you'd open every heart and mind to receive truth. We offer it to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I first brought this sermon, or at least a very abbreviated form of it, to my beloved senior friends uh, in a recent Caleb's Kin meeting. And uh, I had a whole other message prepared that I was going to bring, and uh, my heart just seemed so impressed by this as I was thinking back along the history uh, that I have with this church that began in 1980 and uh, in recent days could not help but to replay the historical reel of all of these beautiful faces uh, over the last 42 years and how God has brought these people into my life and then into my wife's life and then into the lives of our children and what a privilege it has been starting with that first summer after my um, I believe it was my uh, junior year in college and I showed up here at West Hill Baptist Church following my parents uh, who came to give it a try and we never left and uh, I heard preaching like I had never heard before and it shaped my understanding of the word of God and my reverence for the word of God we were down in the old sanctuary what is the children's the hill kids chapel and i was baptized almost immediately by pastor dan and uh we were led in song by pastor mark and this choir and uh i just can see all these faces i remember these elder saints that were praying at the end of the service and how beautiful it was to hear them come before the throne of god and I really began to love the Word of God. So I, I purchased my first copy of God's Word. I took it with me back to college and began to dive into it. And I was given subsequent opportunities to minister and to be exposed to the Word, to serve in a variety of ways. And once again, it was God chiseling on me, shaping me uh, for the purpose of ministry. Uh, to be certain there were many many very very difficult years and I I don't mean just here but in other places where the Lord led me and then my wife and um, the ministry is this beautiful thing it's uh, it is like a rose but there are some thorns uh, along with that process and uh, sometimes I'm the thorn and Uh, I had to learn some lessons and God needed to knock some rough edges off of me. So it has been this tremendous thing and this morning in my prayer time I was giving thanks to God. I told our Sunday school class this morning for all of these people many of them that are sitting here this morning who God has used to encourage us, to support us to admonish us at times uh, to help hold us accountable, to pray for us we have been supported beautifully in so many ways and we are grateful we are truly truly grateful so grateful to be here this morning and uh, to be with you so I want to express my heartfelt thanks and love to not just the senior adults that I spoke with initially but to all of you my general family here at West Hill so with the closing of any chapter in life, and we have many of those along our pathway, it's natural to assess the overall impact uh, upon our lives and our impact upon others. And sometimes that can cause me to be a little red-faced, but most of the time I rejoice in that. Possibly even more so as I think about these chapters and transitions as a pastor uh, i feel the weight of it and that's i think good and right given the nature of life and death and sorrows and various transitions that make up uh, the local body of christ and this one that has been my family um, for the last 42 years the heart of the apostle paul was always yearning for the churches. This is revealed so powerfully in his letters to the church at Corinth, a church that was highly gifted, it was bountifully blessed, and yet it was often ensnared by the lure of the culture around them. And Paul had a very conflicted relationship with, Uh, or they rather had a very conflicted relationship more so with him. His heart for them was always one of yearning, of longing, of, uh, of anguish at times and tears as he expresses himself in these letters. But they at times despised his personality and made little of him. And they did not like his challenging teaching about a variety of issues because they had become in many ways a very worldly church uh, integrated into that culture. But after a basic explanation of his desires for the church, his longing, his plans, and his hardships in the gospel as he rehearses what he has gone through on their behalf, he abruptly changes the tone of this letter beginning with the 14th verse of chapter 2 but thanks be to God. Along with all of these things, in spite of these things, through all of the, of the efforts that uh, I expend on behalf of the church, thanks be to God, Paul says, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And I got to thinking about this triumphal procession Um, And I did a little research and of course, I've heard some wonderful things over the years from uh, much more apt preachers than myself, but this this thing is was referred to as the triumph in the Roman culture and it was it was carried out as a as a civil and religious ceremony because No doubt about it. The Romans were very religious. They were cultic Um, They were idolaters, but they were very religious And so this practice of celebration that would go on uh, happened uh, at various times over the course of their history after the conquering of a foreign people by some esteemed general. And so this parade would come into Rome and go through the main street and there would be the captured slaves I'm sure it would be some of their generals and highest soldiers and leaders and possibly their king and they would be out in front in chains and I'm sure their heads down dejected they know that they are now captives of a, of a conquering nation and they come in <clears throat> then the spoils of war All of the wonderful resources that the Roman uh, legions would take from these people. And then the soldiers. And finally, at the end, the conquering general, dressed in a painted toga, wearing a laurel crown, and receiving the adulation almost as if he were a god himself. Now, to celebrate this, they would have these incense burners along the pathway, and it would put out a very strong and fragrant uh, smell, a beautiful smell, a celebratory smell. But in addition to that, flower petals would be rained down on this parade upon the general and the conquering troops. And these flower petals would then be obviously crushed underfoot by all of these people marching through and the hoofs of the horses cattle possibly that they had captured and were leading and in the crushing of those flower petals there was still another beautiful fragrance that was raised up that would just elevate people's passion and their love at this moment for this for this general i couldn't help thinking of this i I suppose it's appropriate but i thought isn't that who christ is to us crushed his life crushed giving off a fragrance that draws us in and the scriptures tell us more about this it draws some people in with joy with humility with contrition and then with celebration in real life real conquering of sin and death in the grave but for so many others Think of the slaves that were in bondage, shackled in this parade. That same smell to them was death. It was death. They would die, slaves, of this cruel, conquering, superior force. And that is the way so many people are today. They are captives to A horrible taskmaster, Satan, who loves to keep us in bondage and make us feel like the slaves that we are. Oh, he may promise us all all kinds of things, but his end is death. This, then, as Paul is referring to it, as I said earlier, Gives us a sense of the fragrance of Christ who conquers. In verses 15 and 16, we are the aroma of Christ to God. Those who are being saved, among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. This aroma of Christ, it's beautiful, it's attractive, it's identifiable. To the saved, it's the fragrance of life. But to the lost, those who are perishing, as I said before, it is the fragrance of death. It is repulsive. It is to be avoided at all costs. I'd like you to think about the last time that you tried to really live your faith in Jesus Christ. Not just in, oh yeah, I I worship God, I love God. You know, you can safely say that in most corners of, of our culture. But when you begin to talk about a Savior who died for your sins, when you begin to talk about an allegiance to this one who calls us to a sacrifice of our own lives, you're going to get some pushback. That's not an easy or palatable message for them. And we're seeing increasingly in our culture that as we live this life out, it brings anger, it brings division, It even can bring violence. Folks, let me say it clearly. Loved ones, this is life and death. The days are coming when we will no longer, and should never have to begin with, play around with church. I have said it often, I'll say it again. The older I, I get and the longer I spend in ministry, I love the church more. I see the importance of the church more critically every day in my life. I desperately need you. You need each other. You need your pastors. Your pastors need you. And the culture around you is desperate for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it really is the difference between life and and death. And so when we think about this, who can possibly be sufficient for this? When we think about this terrible burden that we bear as believers, between the uh, carrying the aroma of Christ on one hand and the aroma of death to those that are perishing, this it, it's a terrible burden. The weight, the meaning, the significance of life in Christ. Paul said to the Galatian church, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Is Christ living in you? Is Christ, as our pastor has uh, challenged us numerous times over the course of the last year or so, are you abiding in him? Are you drawing your life from him? Jesus doesn't want to be your co-pilot. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus should be your life. And we are insufficient in these matters of life and death in our own energy. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. I think here he harks back to ultimate insufficiency. There were many people who would lie about their credentials and they would get letters uh, insincerely. I mean, they they would be insincere lying about their credentials and they would get a letter that would validate them to the various churches they would travel to because they loved the esteem. They wanted to be recognized as important. They wanted to be seen as the big man. They wanted to take advantage. They wanted personal gain from this position. And so they would get these letters of recommendation or they would forge them themselves so that they could carry them around and uh, be recognized as leaders in the church. Folks, there are so many in the Christian world today that are peddlers of God's word. It doesn't take much to you turn on the television, you turn on the radio, read, and we see many people who, for selfish gain, have chosen to put themselves forth in ministry. And these people are contrasted with those who are men of sincerity. He says it in verse 17 We're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity. And who is the ultimate judge of that sincerity? Oh, we're tempted to judge our leaders and vice versa. But it is God who is the final judge of our character and our motivation and our practice in ministry. As men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. Now, say again what I was told by one of the first pastors I worked under when I left this church to start and minister I was at the Mansfield Baptist Temple and I may have said this before some of you may remember he said to me when I questioned him about full time ministry because I was the minister of music at that point and I was teaching in the Christian school and he said to me Eric he said if God calls you in other words if God commissions you you won't be able to do anything else if he's not calling you you need to run as fast as you can the other direction and those of us in the ministry understand that it's not an easy calling here Paul is saying we are sincere men of God not because we call ourselves sincere but because God has made us so through his commissioning in the sight of God we speak in Christ In the sight of God. Every time a pastor or a teacher of the word of God stands up and opens a copy of the scriptures, they are to do so to God through Christ. There's a great seriousness and gravity about this position. And it is not to be desired easily. Because we will face a greater judgment. We must never adulterate God's word for personal gain. And I guess a real good determining question would be the answer to this, uh, to this question. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory from our ministries? Whether it be greeting at a door, or ushering, or working on some um, program or special Uh, Event that the church is doing or whether it's cleaning or teaching children, whatever it may be, it makes no difference. Who gets the glory? I think a lot of times the problems in the body of Christ today are uh, they happen because ultimately we want the glory. And so we're deeply offended and hurt when we don't get the esteem and the adulation and the affirmation that we think we deserve. Folks, I tell you, I've been there. I can remember being a young choir director and cracking the whip and basically making life pretty uncomfortable for these folks that were coming in to offer their time, their talents, their resources on a weekly basis. And I offended a number of people. And I would be offended when they would push back a little bit. Why? Because my pride was wrapped up in this. I was looking to receive glory. Oh, well, by the grace of God, may that be driven continuously out of our lives as ministers of the gospel, certainly out of mine. I don't want to be controlled by that, that kind of spirit. The minister must not operate according to human wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, The reason is given so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he goes on in chapter 3, and he talks about the minister's commendation. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? He's saying, are we patting ourselves on the back? Are we making more of ourselves than what we should? Are we looking for your adulation and affirmation again? Must we, as one translation says, reintroduce ourselves to you as if you never really knew us, you didn't know our motivation? And here we get these this mention of the letters of recommendation or commendation once again is this what we need letters of recommendation to you or from you really we have spent our lives for you he says as ministers of the gospel do we constantly have to remind you oh any pastor will tell you who is honest that he makes many mistakes and I have made some grievous ones I've made some grievous ones and that, it causes me shame. And the devil loves to use those things against me and accuse me and say, oh, you're not, you, you should never be in the ministry. But the expenditure of our lives over the long haul and the spirit of contrition and humility should mark the life of the minister so much so that he is easily recognized as one who is there for the sake of the church. Sincere ministers should need no secondhand testimony to their legitimacy. Why? Why should he be commended and received? Because of his recommendation, and that is you. When I leave this place, I hope that our ministries in Christ have left a mark on your hearts for good and not for bad. You are certainly written on my heart. And I'll say more about that at the end of this message. Are we written on yours? Paul loves this church. It's clearly given in in verse 4 of this same chapter. "'For I wrote to you out of much affliction "'and anguish of heart and with many tears, "'not to cause you pain, but to let you know "'the abundant love that I have for you.'" They are in his heart. And the faithful minister should be written upon yours as well. There should be a mutual recognition and appreciation of life and fruitfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is this seen through transformation lives are changed People begin to look more like jesus christ. They show a greater love and tenderness towards one another They're more eager to serve and willing to serve through difficult circumstances. We see transformation healing reparation being made in the lives of people and this is a letter that's written on our hearts And that is certainly a letter written on yours. This open, honest mutuality of Christ's life is and should be a hallmark of the authentic New Testament church. Certainly this loving shepherd is critical to his flock, but what of his message? You know, you can be kind. I've seen a lot of ministers who are very soft and very kind and gentle, and they know how to talk to their people. But they have no no message to share they preach a social gospel or they just pat people on the back or they try to make people feel well what is the message of the faithful minister you show that you are the message you show by your lives the letter from us that's experiential that's what's on evidence in this message the new covenant is inscribed or written upon our hearts the hearts of all true followers of christ Not, verse 3 says, in the letter of the law. Or this refers back to the tablets of stone where God etched these commandments into the stone and gave them to Moses. And what did these commandments do? They led us to death. We were just talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning. They were signposts along the highway to hell. To Arrest our attention to make us realize our lostness it is the bad news that leads us to the good that is the minister's message not in the letter of the law leading to death but instead clearly written upon your heart resulting in a new creation through the spirit of life if you have your bible and you want to look at it in in jeremiah 31 Verse 33, the word of God says this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen. And 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. This should be the hallmark of the message. And what is that message? It is none other than the glorious gospel of grace through Jesus Christ's substitutionary death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension from the dead. The minister must walk in this grace as well. John Flavel, the Puritan writer and pastor said, let us see that our knowledge of Christ is not a powerless, he's speaking to the minister here, barren, unpractical knowledge. Oh, that in its passage from our understanding to our lips, it might powerfully melt, sweeten and delight our hearts. Remember, brethren, that a holy calling never saved any man without a holy heart. If our tongues only be sanctified, our whole man must be condemned. Oh, let the keepers of the vineyard look to and keep their own vineyard. We have a heaven to win or lose as well as others. So this leads to the minister's confidence in verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ. If left to ourselves and the law, we would have no confidence whatsoever, no assurance of not only life, but also of spiritual fruit in Christ. We would constantly be doubting whether our lives are making any impact, whether we ourselves are secure in Christ for eternal life, whether we've ever really been forgiven. The gospel, properly understood, frees us for this. Christ is the only source of confidence we can have before a holy God. He's the only source of confidence. Absolute confidence in the certain truth of the gospel and its transforming power. I have been discouraged over the years, and I know that Pastor Zach and our other pastors here could say the same thing. We work hard, we preach, we pray, we we model leadership and love, we do these things, we serve, and yet we see still such a stubbornness. Often we'll sit before our people in a counseling session and we see this resistance to the truth of the gospel, well, we see a resistance to the truth of the Word of God in regard to their immediate needs, and they just will not surrender to that. Therefore, they continue on in their pain and in their bondage and in the destruction that their sin and their lack of surrender brings. And it drives the minister to this realization. I can effect no change ultimately upon your life. None. None. And so as we leave this dear church today, I recognize that anything good that ever came from our lives will be because the Lord Jesus Christ filled us and used us for his glory and honor through the power of the gospel. So what is the minister's sufficiency? verse 5 not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything every personal effort every man-made strategy every self-aggrandizement every confidence in self results in gross insufficiency we can do everything right and yet be grossly insufficient When we humbly realize that any sufficiency we have or function in comes only from God, then we can begin to become sufficient in ministering this new covenant through the Spirit of God. Anything else results in spiritual forms of death, personally and corporately. This letter of the law or human invention or human strategies, it kills peace, joy, and hope in the lives of believers because ultimately it leaves them starving. It leaves them parched. It leaves them disappointed in the claims of the gospel. How many people have left various gospel churches because the church just gave empty words, not backed up by the transforming power of the gospel modeled by servant leaders? Or it brings spiritual, eternal death to the unsaved. Here again, the terrible weight and burden of life and death that is in the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ that his children carry. MacArthur Bible study says this, Paul disdained his own ability to reason, to judge, or assess truth. Left to his own abilities, he was useless. He was dependent on divine revelation and the Holy Spirit's power. And so I say again, you are written on our hearts on Becky's heart on my heart as one of your pastors soon to be former I long to be in that triumphal procession of Christ with you and if you're listening by way of a broadcast this morning over your television or your laptop or your phone I can tell you that I long to be in the procession with you. You may wonder, what is he talking about? What's he getting so excited about? This is life and death. I long to be in this procession with you. How can you imagine that day? It's going to be better than incense and flower petals. What a triumphant procession that will be As we come before the throne of God And give him all the praise And all the glory May our fragrance be such That many are drawn into this procession With us Now despite my many Frailties Foibles and failures I had to use the word foibles You can look that up Because it started with F And there are many. I hope to be remembered as a man, sincere as a minister in Christ, who did not peddle God's word for selfish gain, but rather for your good transformation into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Forgive my frailties, I beg you. Forgive my mistakes and the hurts that I may have caused along the way. I pray that in Christ you will remember us well for trying to sincerely be a minister of the gospel to you. And finally, I want you to know, family here at West Hill Baptist Church, you are written again on our hearts. This faith community in many, many ways has legitimized, and I say that word with the full weight and gravity of it, you have in many ways legitimized my calling as a minister in Jesus Christ. This has been the trellis that God has used upon which I have been given the freedom to grow and to be nurtured. Thank you for your investment in Becky's and my life. Thank you for your investment, those of you who have been here long enough in our children's lives. You have helped shape us over the course of our patchwork history as I go off into ministry, went off into ministry in a variety of places, but always returned to this place of 42 years, thank you. You've shaped us into better messengers of the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. Now, Father, we thank you for the word of God that keeps our feet firmly on the ground as we realize our insufficiency apart from the Lord Jesus And may we see with even more wonder and thanks and joy and love the glory of the gospel and how that gospel transforms not only our own lives as ministers but the lives of those we love and lead. May you continue through this fragrant ministry of Christ to draw many into this triumphant procession that one day we may enter through the gates of heaven and surround the throne of God and give you all the praise and the glory. And I pray this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.